Welcome to The Generative Age, a podcast that explores the rapidly evolving world of generative AI and its impact on education. Guided by EdTech director, author, and Nightscape board member, Alana Winnick, we are joined by experts and practitioners in the field who are shaping this course of artificial intelligence in the classroom. Whether you're an educator, administrator, technology leader, or simply interested in the future of education, join us on this journey through the generative age, powered by Nightscape. Hello, welcome back. I haven't seen you since last year. Um, A lot has happened since the last episode, so I'm just going to fill you in on some updates. I was recently selected as a 2024 EdSafe Women in AI Fellow, and I'm really excited to share my journey with you. As you know, I like to keep you informed of everything that's going on in the field, so I'll just give you some updates since our last podcast. Using artificial intelligence, MIT researchers were able to identify a new class of antibiotics that can kill drug-resistant bacteria that cause deadly infections. So an example of this might be MRSA, and this has been successfully tested with mice in a lab. So this is really promising. And the way that this works is that models sift through tons and tons and tons of data to make predictions, and then the humans analyze the predictions and figure out which ones they think are the most likely and conduct lab tests testings. Using the current models, there's no real way of knowing how the predictions were made, but they're hoping on building more explainable models where the AI will tell them why they think that this prediction would work. But the technology is just not there yet. But this is still a really, really big advancement and really exciting for the world of science. Shifting gears a bit, let's move on to the AI tech giants and fill you in on what's been going on there. New York Times is suing OpenAI and Microsoft. They're claiming that there's unauthorized use of their published work to train artificial intelligence models. OpenAI is saying that it's considered fair use, and in education we know what this fair use means. And OpenAI is saying that they're working to correct the model, so does it literally regurgitate word for word what was published in the New York Times because that's what they're finding is happening right now. Talking about OpenAI, let's stay on that topic. OpenAI will add watermarks to their images in DALI as well as tagging that is created by AI in the metadata of the image to help build trust around digital information. And this is going to be particularly important in the upcoming election to know what is AI generated and what is factual. Um, So I just want to play devil's advocate here. If you take a screenshot of an AI generated image and crop it, then it will not only remove the watermark that's in the corner, it will also eliminate the metadata. The way it currently stands, it's, you know, a step in the right direction, but definitely not a solution. Now let's move on to Google. In our last episode, I mentioned a whole segment on Gemini. So if you missed that, Definitely go back and check it out. It's right in the beginning of the episode. There's no such thing as Bard anymore, and now it's just Google Gemini. So for all of you lucky Android users, you could go ahead and download the Gemini app right now. For all of the iPhone users, you're going to have to wait a bit for that. But you could still use it on a computer. And now let's move on to Microsoft. It's kind of ironic that in the last episode, I interviewed Microsoft Education's Chief Innovation Officer, and I did a whole announcement on Google. But in this episode, we have really big announcements for Microsoft. Microsoft is now branded as Copilot, lots of changing words. And we've heard of Copilot before, but now they've really released it in the workplace. And I've linked free resources on all the things I just mentioned, um, but now using Copilot, it's literally baked right into all the Microsoft products. So I'm gonna just talk through some of the tools and how you can use it. With Outlook, you can create draft emails, summarize long emails, schedule follow-ups and agendas based on your email conversation. Using Word, you could generate drafts for documents. You could summarize really lengthy documents. And then, and there's so many more. I'm just giving you the highlights. Uh, With PowerPoint, you could create quick presentations from a prompt, or you could take a different doc, like let's say a Word document, and you can generate that into a PowerPoint. You can also take a really long presentation and summarize it into key slides. Uh, Moving on to Excel, you can easily make charts with your existing data. 
If you are not good at formulas like me, you can apply formulas without even knowing the formula just by using a prompt. So I'm really excited for that. And you can also use it to summarize trends in the data. With Microsoft Teams, if you use it for video chat, it could take notes for you. So if you've used something like Otter AI or anything like that, now it's going to be baked right into Teams. So it could take notes. It could also suggest discussion points based on emails or files. And it can also create meeting recaps and insights. And also, just like OpenAI with Copilot, you could build your own Copilots. So this will be really great because you could use all of the files that are saved in your Microsoft ecosystem, all your data, and create um, custom GPTs just for your data. Uh, this is really exciting. I've been waiting for this for a really long time, and I'm starting to have initial conversations on how we can set up uh, my environment for my school district and having a lot of conversations about data privacy and security and making sure that um, everyone's data is protected and not shared with anyone that it shouldn't be. So there is a bit of work to go into this if you're going to set it up district-wide and it's not just your own individual account. And that's all the updates I have for you today. That was a lot of updates, but let's just head right into why you're here. Let's jump right into the episode live at NiceGate with the E-Twins. So we're recording live at NiceGate. We just had an incredible keynote with the E-Twins. So thank you for that awesome keynote. I wish that my talk was just before yours. <laughs> so aligned. So who is who? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm Alberto. And Mario. So Mario, light blue, and Alberto, dark blue. Uh, dark blue. Okay. The, the, those of us that are listening can't, we um, can't see, but what... Our voices are very similar. Uh, yeah. I'm Mario, and then uh, the other voice is Alberto, if you can... We, they they won't apart. ever yeah, be. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're just the same person, basically. So we'll get into the twin thing in a bit. Can you tell me one way you use AI personally and one way you use it professionally, uh, creatively? I, I can start with it personally. I hate going grocery shopping. Um, I really, really hate it. Um, so my girlfriend always goes because I hate it. So what I do is like I do the list. Um, so I do a menu on ChatGPT, uh, and then I ask ChatGPT for the ingredients to make that menu and give me a list. And I give it normally to her, or if he, she forces me to go, I go. <laughs> and then uh, I used to like to do the weekly menu and the shopping list for that. That's a very creative way. I think John Spencer said he does the same thing. So maybe it's not so creative. <laughs> yeah. um, for me. Um, traveling i would say it's not very creative either but like uh, i used it to if i go to a city to tell me like uh, what things like i should go you know like five must uh things that you need to do in lisbon or madrid or whatever uh for that and then for restaurants as well like uh, if i am craving something or my, my girlfriend's craving something same you know like okay we are craving uh, mexican food so what's you know like give me five options for mexican restaurants and stuff like that yeah. and what about professional for, for everything i would for say everything. like uh, for social, social media posts social media posts all the time um emails emails you know, important emails as well that for the wording yeah for the wording yes we write this or make it sound more professional or like a more, more informal depending on we use it like on regular basis okay so first of all how do you, what do you mean you use it for social media for the post to write the post to write the uh -huh. post so you give the information i'm gonna be here this day this i'm gonna talk about this, this is going to be a keynote or a workshop. Can you write me a social media post that I will be publishing this on Instagram? And it's, it's wonderful. If you haven't tried it, like, go ahead and do it because it saves you a lot of time. Okay, so you guys are the E-Twins. You have one shared account for everything. You're basically one person. Uh, no, we don't, no, actually. We, don't. Uh, we have um, Twitter because we started off with two different accounts in Twitter. So Alberto has his, I have mine, and then we created E-Twins because... We started our Twitter accounts when eTwins wasn't a thing yet. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, like, uh, we created eTwins, edu, which okay. is kind of our main account now. Got it. So, who posts on that? Uh, normally, do. normally, Alberto. Why? Um, because I don't know. Like, we organize the work in that way, and I'm in charge of all the social media stuff. Um, okay. We split the work. Mario is not very creative with uh, making the graphs, the graph, uh, graphs and everything. So normally I'm in charge of creating the graphics, 
and like posting on social media. Okay, so I'm going a bit out of order here because we're on the twin thing. So I told you guys in the email, my mother was an yeah. identical twin. So are you identical or fraternal? I identical. identical. Okay, so um, I totally understand this bond. Most people do not understand yeah, this. It is hard to understand, but it is a feeling that you cannot explain it. It's, you need to live it like you, with your mom and your aunt, or being a twin like us to yeah. fully understand the whole thing. Yeah, my mom literally started a business so that she could see her twin every single day <laughs> because they can't not see each other. So when you guys are now together all the time, yeah. pretty much all the time, mm -hmm. um, that's a way for you to keep... It is. We don't see each other as much as uh, people think because we don't live in the same city anymore. Oh, wow. Um, which is one hour away. One hour away, which is not far away, but we don't live in the same city. Uh, so we see each other once every two weeks, maybe. Wow. Yeah, in yeah. person. In person. But, but we're always working together. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a and texting each video, other. Call, video calling or texting or whatever is all the time because of our business pretty much got it so you're on the stage you obviously are in unison you answer each other's questions i get the whole twin thing it's just how it works <laughs> we don't practice that by, by the way it's just natural no i know that because <laughs> yeah. i had a twin mom yeah. they could literally not even be in the same room and know what each other are thinking about yeah so you said you're much more creative in the social media part of it what what's your role if my role is like to do the i would say the day-to-day I would say like uh, I'm then like more creative, not with um, social media stuff, but like with ideas and projects that we do. And then the day-to-day -day of the company. Like Alberto is very creative. Let's say we need to do like a presentation. I normally come up with the ideas of the presentation or the structure, normally, not all of it. And Alberto kind of creates the, the presentation, you know, how it looks like uh, slides and everything else. Um, that's kind of what we do it. But and, I mean, it can you, change as well. And you take care of the logistics. The logistics as well. Like uh, everything related to like what we do to the clients, follow up with the clients and emails, um, traveling. traveling and all of that. Normally we split the projects that we have, yeah. like kind of like program managers or project manager. So Mario take, take care of some of the projects, I do take care of other projects. So in that way we split the work. Okay, so upstairs I noticed there's, there's only one clicker. How do you guys decide who's driving the presentation? He's this the case, project manager of this <laughs> presentation. I, I built the presentation, so I, I need to... But it's just like... So, for example, when we do um, some presentations, the one who has the clicker is the one who has been... More, more involved in the presentation. More involved in the presentation. In this case, I kind of like designed this presentation, so I was but, the one who decided the pace on that. Got it, but it seems like that's your role, so you probably do that most yeah, likely. Sometimes uh, Mario takes over... Um, depending on the project or the program that we are building or depending on like who has been more involved yeah. in that, that project. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the whole twins, I love the whole twin <laughs> thing. I think it's so interesting. It is very um, interesting. So you grew up with a thought partner your whole life. You've mm -hmm. always had a thought, but you guys have been through every single stage of your life together and known what everything's going on. You've always had this thought partners now we think of ai and everyone calls it a thought partner so everyone finally has a thought partner a twin, right, right? A twin. Yeah. yeah what do you guys think of this i think it's important to bounce ideas you know to each other and stuff like that i would say like uh, it's a good way to do it but i wouldn't abuse that with ai you know uh depending on the responses that gives you doesn't critical think and stuff like that but i think it's important to have you can call it like thought partner, assistant, however you want, you know. And we use it as well. You know, like if we are doing something, like uh, we talk to ChatGPT or any generative AI and say, hey, this is my idea, give me five more. Or, you know, like uh, give me uh, more ideas about this uh, project or whatever. So we use it as well. Awesome. I love that. I would love to learn about your journey from like education to where you are today and like, your journey from Spain to Utah, back to Spain. Like, let's talk through this. Let's talk through it. Mario, you're very good at this. Um, uh, explaining step by step our 
career, I guess. So we uh, we studied education in Spain, like a very school elementary education. So it's like uh, we studied there, and then our last year um, we got a scholarship to do our internship here in the U.S. So it's uh, like a program that you don't choose where to go. So you just apply for the program, and then um, you know, like someone picks you. Up. Like in this case, a district from Utah picked us up. You know. Oh, that's how you end up in Utah. Yeah, I was like, exactly. if you, you know, you're coming to America and you pick Utah. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, all like Utah. Well, oh, explain the Syracuse thing. They have like a list of applicants, and then districts all around the U.S. just go to that huge pool of candidates, and then they pick you. You know, so in this case, a uh, district from Utah, from Syracuse, Utah, picked us. Uh, funny thing is that we thought we were gonna go to Syracuse, New York. Oh my goodness! So we, at that point, we were twenty. Like we used to. We love to party, you know, we love to have fun and stuff. So we were like, we we're going to Syracuse, New York, the college, college town, town, you know, like it's going to be so much fun. We already thought, you know, like thought about us just going out every weekend and stuff like sports. that. Sports. Sports. I mean, great time. And then we ended Soccer up Soccer or football? Which one? Soccer. No, we, I know. We call I was it football. You we call it football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the real football. <laughs> um, we ended up in Syracuse, Utah, which is a farming community. I know. That's why I was like wondering <laughs> about this Utah so thing. So imagine our faith when we we thought that we were going to a college town and then we found out we we were actually going to a farming community which is great like uh, we, we had an amazing it, experience but it was kind of like a uh, a shock so we ended up there uh, we did one year of internship and after that we got hired uh, by the district so we were in the classroom for nine years in that same district I heard that you worked with Matt Winters uh-huh, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry uh, Matt Matt from Utah yeah Matt Winters yeah we uh, we actually Matt is well now um, he's at UEN uh, which is kind of an organization in Utah uh, but before that he worked uh, at a district and uh, he worked for USAID and everything yeah? uh, I don't remember so we yeah like on our team in Utah we were with Matt uh, hello. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful he's yeah amazing. he I just met him at ISTE. He won ISTE 20 to watch, but you guys won it too, right? Yeah, two last years year. Ago. Yeah, two yeah years so ago. that was one of my questions. So tell me about why you won that. <laughs> so um, I think, oof, I don't know. Um, I think it was like a, a combination of all of our awards before that, that we got like other awards and recognitions. For what though? What, why did you win these awards? What did you do that's so great? Tell us. So the first... I can tell you, like, first, uh, what we got was, like, uh, uh, best teachers in Utah under 35. Uh, Outstanding young educator of the year. Outstanding young educator of the year. That was for the use of... It was a joint E-Twins Yeah, thing. it was a joint Actually, thing. Wow. It was a joint E-Twins yeah. That's interesting. You were the E-Twins before you were the E-Twins. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Actually, yeah. Um, So, we got that one for integration of technology in the classroom and then service learning projects. Um, then, that same year, we won the, uh, both of us as well, best teachers in our district mm. in Utah. Um, best of Davis is called. Uh, so we got that one, and then more recognitions like uh, um, the list of the thirty. I don't remember, but it was like a Ed Magazine, a Tech Magazine as well, and then ICT, the twenty seventh most influent influencers or something like that, educators in the world, stuff like that. And then they tried to watch. And it was, I think, because of our career and, like, what they told us was more about how we have impacted, you know, like, uh, throughout the years, many, many educators. Because we are in the U.S. and in Europe and then South America as well. So we get to impact a lot of different educators. You transitioned from that to this full time. Yes. So can you tell me about yeah, Why you made that sure. decision? Um, so we've never thought that this was even a possibility. Uh, we did, we picture ourselves in the classroom for the for our whole career, um, but when we start getting these awards and recognitions, people started to calling us to come to our district and talk about this, come to this conference and talk about what you are doing. And they wanted both of you. They didn't yeah, want yeah, one. Exactly. Both of us. Yeah. And so we reached to a point that the consulting part was getting to a full-time job so we pretty much had two full-time jobs and it was it was very hard honestly we were in the classroom full-time and then consulting and speaking full-time as well how did your district allow you to do that so that was they were super supportive um we when we went to a conference we always came back and share with the district, the faculty. Also, we were carrying their name around the country and Europe as well, uh, their district name, and they were super, super supportive with that. Um, and then, yeah, we got two, two full-time jobs. It was 
really, really hard mentally, um, mental health. Uh, we couldn't do this for a long time. So we decided to take the full-time job as consultants and leave the classroom mm-hmm. and focus on this. And then you moved back to Spain. And we yeah. moved back to Spain. Why? Because your family's there? Is that why? Yeah, yeah. And actually, we, we needed to make a decision that uh, we had kind of maxed out our uh, work visa. So we moved back to Spain because all of our family are there and then let us, it's home for us, you yeah. know, culturally and then everything. So we decided to move back to Spain, but we get to come here, like I would say, <laughs> once every other month, you know. So we are still in contact with US educators and US culture. Uh, my partner is from the US as well, you know, so like. Where in the US? Uh, LA. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was like Utah farmland. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> She's from LA. She's from LA. Uh, living in Spain now. But I mean, like, uh, we are still, like, the US is still very hey, Tim. present. Tim is awesome. I know. Tim is awesome. <laughs> so let's jump into your keynote from this morning. One of the things that sparked my attention was the model of the current classroom. So can you talk us through what that's like right now? We love education systems. So we like to study education systems around the world. And then we studied for a long time the Prussian system, which is all of the Western education systems are based on that. Even Eastern. Even Eastern, yeah. So it's like a, it's a model that was born, was created in late in the late part of um, 19th century, and it's pretty much based on the Industrial Revolution, like it is our education system right now. So we have like different levels that we put all with the same part, uh, like it was a factory, you know, with a curriculum. I mean, like there are different factors that uh, you can tell that this system was built looking at like it was a factory, and then, yeah, supply chain, and then the factory and the supply chain was the main... I would say like an uh, inspiration to create our model right now. So we talked a bit about this current model that you think doesn't really work right now, right? No. Why do you think it doesn't work? Because like the society and the workplace have changed so much that we need a new system to prepare students for this new reality. Like we are using the same system that was created 200 years ago to to help students to be ready for a society that was completely different. I mean, we like it or not, that system was built in the right way to prepare students for that for that reality. But that reality is not here anymore. Like has changed so much that we're still using that system for a society that no longer exists. Okay, so what should we do to change it? We need to focus on skills that are going to be needed in the future. So there is a report that it is called the Future of Jobs uh, from the World Economic Forum that goes out every year and kind of like uh, try to predict the top 15, the top 20 skills that are going to be needed in the future for students to succeed. And what do you think those are? No, they are there. They are but, there. But which ones resonate with you? Which ones do you think are the top one ones? That Computational thinking is uh, one of the main ones. Uh, social influence. Social influence, that's, that's, critical thinking. That's huge right now with all the uh, influencers, all the um, streamers, YouTubers. That one is growing a lot, that social influence. Uh, because that can be a job as well, like to be an influencer. Right. So um, I would say that, well, the new one, like, conventional thinking, I think it's a huge one because of all the new technology, critical thinking, because we're going to need critical thinking because it's something that the AI can't do. Right. So, like, if we excel, yeah, we talked about that during the keynotes, is that, like, if we need to really work on those skills, because, like, uh, uh, machines, um, in this case, artificial intelligence cannot do that. So we need to be that brain and that heart behind the technology, you know, to guide it to the correct way or the right the right track. And also, like, it is not just about adding a layer of technology or a layer of skills. I think it is time to break the whole system. And He's a little you know, bit more radical than I am yeah, like about, kind of about like, this. Yeah, I don't quite agree with that, but like... I'm, like, kind of like, we don't need this the kids to be grouped by age anymore. Uh, we need them to be grouped by skills or by level of understanding or by ways to learn or by hobbies like okay like I like this more than their thing you know like be more flexible with the grouping of the kids even in elementary school and focusing on different things because the age sometimes 
it was the it was the grouping that was picked 200 years ago because it was the easiest way to do it, but that doesn't mean that is the best grouping we can have uh, in elementary secondary school there are other, other many many factors that could be better for the grouping of kids and we don't need grouping anymore if we work in projects or problem of project-based learning, which is the future. Too. Right. I agree. I wrote about that in my book. <laughs> I didn't talk about the grouping, but like the project-based learning and learning through, and my whole thing is process over product. We yeah. can't assess the end product anymore. Well, the process, like, and you can um, apply that, you know, those skills or that process to many, many different situations. The product, you can't. you like, you evaluate the product which is good for one situation the process or what you're learning through the process you can apply that to many situations in many yeah. contexts yeah. so what's the point of evaluating the product you should evaluate the process you should evaluate the you know competency based I would say um, learning like what they are learning what skills what competencies and we don't that. need grouping by age there. like just group by by people that work really well together or uh, in uh, grouping by interest um, mm -hmm. all those things that are very very needed talk about the productivity versus automation so right now we made a difference between evolution and revolution that a lot of people are saying that you know like or have said many many times um, that education has you know like a um, it's been a revolution in education go through a revolution, uh, go through a rev revolution for uh, because of different technologies right. and stuff but we truly think that it was an evolution it wasn't a radical change AI can be a revolution but it's not there yet it's because right now we're in the phase of um, productivity, which means that all of the AI tools that we have right now are based on productivity. For example, instead of writing an entire email, you write a prompt and the AI tool writes you the email. Instead of creating slides, like you can write a prompt and it creates the slides for you. That is productivity. You know, like, and then there's a second part of it, which is <laughs> the Tim, the Tim famous pink sunglasses. sunglasses. Yeah, the famous Tim Needles pink sunglasses. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. It's okay. like a glare. For those of you listening, there's a massive glare on my eyes, and I couldn't see anything. And now Tim Needles gave me his famous pink sunglasses, so now I look really cool. And he's the guy. Yeah. And then the second part is automation, which means that like uh, you are changing, like you. It's kind of an automatization, like you're changing the way that you're doing things. And your AI does those things automatically for you. You know, like you don't need to put prompts or you don't need to, I mean, you need to program it and stuff, but it's not productivity anymore, you know, it, but it's changing what you are doing. And it's changing the way you teach or it's changing the way that- A great uh, example for that is, for example, a supply chain of cars, um, like productivity would be a human using a new tool to make cars faster. Right. Right. And automation would be a robot who knows what to do in every moment. Um, in that way, the car goes through a supply chain and a robot uh, does whatever the robot needs to do. And the human can be focusing on other stuff. Uh, so going from productivity to automation. I love that. Okay, so next, you touched a bit upon um, the benefits of AI and education. So talking about those two things, I think it can segue a little bit into... What are the benefits? Well, there are many. Um, benefits that we can do right now or that we think that... Oh, should we go be... into... Maybe let's start with right now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right we'll now, go into the future later. <laughs> Save it. Um, productivity. That's what we say. Um, right now, like uh, you can get a lot of data from students. Uh, with AI, you can be way more efficient creating uh, PowerPoints, creating slides. You can be more efficient answering emails. Uh, Right now, you can create your rubrics if you want. That no one likes to create those rubrics, but like uh, thanks to AI, generative AI, you can create rubrics super fast. Um, you can create lesson plans. I think that right now, AI can help teachers to save time and to put that time into what really matters, which is uh, being with the students. Being with the students. Yeah, I agree. Because like uh, I was reading the other day a report that said that I think it's 62, Alberto. Or 50, 52, 50, 52, which is more than half of the time. 52% of the time that teachers are working, it's not in direct instruction or direct... Um, I have that in my book. It's very sad that half or even more than half of the time, it's not with a student. It's paperwork. It's yeah. the dealing with other things. Meetings. And it is, we always say that it's all that stuff. So we became teachers for the children. 
we right. became teachers to help the children. Yeah. And all those, more than half of our time, we are doing things that we didn't choose to do, right? right. Meaning like we didn't join the profession to do those things. We, we joined the profession to make an impact on the students and to be with them, to support them, to help them being the best version of themselves. And it's going to help with teacher burnout as well. Like, uh, yes. I would is. say that 95% yeah. of the teachers who quit is because of that 52%. It's the things that they never thought that they yeah. ever exactly. were going to have yeah. to do like, as a teacher. Being a teacher is much more than teaching a lesson. And it's much more than supporting students, have a lot of paperwork and a lot of things that you don't know when you join the profession. Right. And I think like AI is going to solve a lot of problems and it's going to not solve, but help with the teacher retention issue so that we have. This leads to a quote I pulled from your side, but it's what I say every time <laughs> I present. And I'll tell you my version of the quote, but you'll know what your version of the quote yes. is. Because I'm not going to remember how to quote your quote. <laughs> um, AI will not replace your job, but someone who uses it might because they're going to be more efficient than you and they're going to be less burnt out than you, right? Literally. And it's yeah. in every profession. Like, uh, you know, like... Uh, more more qualified prof professionals, you know, will take the job of other professionals who are not that much. If we go back to the analogy of the um, supply chain of cars, imagine that we have people that are still making cars with their own hands. That's wild. Versus people that are using robots to build those cars. The robots will go faster, it will be easier for the people that are using the robots. So same is going to happen in education. And like, some people can argue like, okay, but students are not products. And I agree. You know, but at the same time, you know, like you can spend hours and hours trying to get all of the data from your students to create lesson plans. And then if I know how to use AI, I can get that in 10 seconds. It's work hard, but also work smart. Yeah, they say work smarter, not harder. Yeah. That goes into this human intelligence. Um, in that same report, they did make a very valid point up. They call it humans in the loop. And they say that... Um, the final educational decision should be made by a human. There's no contextual judgment. They don't know if the kid fell on the playground or there's some problem happening at home. So having that human intelligence and having that empathy and having the human make the final decision um, is incredibly important. Is there anything else you want to add to this human intelligence thing before I take some of your stuff? I think you put it in a very good way. Like it's key that that's why we really think that AI will not replace teachers because AI kind of think critically. Uh, all of, everything related to social emotional learning skills can be social awareness, could be like self-awareness, even uh, self-awareness. Self all of that stuff like uh, AI will never have it. You know, like can't fake it. You know, it will get to a point where it will fake. You know that really well, really well. That does all of that actually doesn't. You know, so like a humans <laughs> need to be there. You know, to make decisions and to use all of the data collected by AI, you know, to to make this best decision. We always say that the, whatever the product of the, whatever you get from the AI, um, it needs to be a starting point, not the final product. Yes. So you get whatever the AI gives you and you need to use your brain as human, as teacher, yeah. just to make it better or to just adapt whatever you get from the AI to your background, to your context, to your students, to your reality. I like to make the reference of, remember back in the day when Wikipedia came out? And everyone was like, you, you can't go to Wikipedia, it's not reliable. And now we kind of look at it as like, oh, it's a great place to start. Yeah, exactly. And with AI, I think it's the same thing. It's a great place to start, but like you said, it, it's not your final end. Can it's not never the, like the final product, the final idea. It's when, for example, teachers make rubrics, you know, using it. Like, you're not going to get that rubric and, you know, like, give it to your students. But it's a great starting point, you know, to tweak stuff, to change it. So it's the same case. Okay, and now you brought up this question. If an apology is written by AI, is it an apology? What so, do you think? I mean, what I think is sometimes people have a lot of emotions. I actually use it a lot when um, I run some of my maybe emotional emails through AI to remove some of the emotions. And then I think it sounds a lot more... Um, Professional. Yes. Anything that might have an emotion that you don't want to carry through, there's sometimes when I want to remove the emotion. There's sometimes when it's important to have emotion in there. But there's also times when you're so emotional and you don't know how to express your own emotions. So it's an apology? I think I would use it. But like, I would make sure that I 
took my own thoughts that I wrote down, I saw what it gave me, and then I combined the two to make it the best version of that. But I would keep my emotions in it, yeah. but maybe write it a little bit more. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I, like, I, me, I don't think there's a correct, a great answer. Yeah. Actually, we've got a lot of people approaching us, like, "Hey, like, what's the answer?" You know, because in my table, like, uh, or my my partner, or whatever, you know, like we were talking and we had different opinions. I don't think there's a correct answer, but I can give you my opinion. If you I think it can go both ways. Okay, first, if you use um, generative AI just for the wording, yeah, I mean, do you really mean it? But you need help with the wording. Yeah that actually it's an apologize but did you use it because you just don't care oh no I, yeah you know like yeah. it, it's not apologize so i think it can go both ways like i, I you agree care actually i agree about the apology apologies but you really need to word it in the right way right that's that to me that's a yes but we come back to the like a you know because, but if you just don't care and say okay write me an apology because i don't even mean it no that's different then like that's that's, that's, a, a no. that's totally inauthentic. no that's a totally no that's yeah inauthentic. but we come back to what we say like uh, it's the human behind it right i think yeah. what alberto said it's perfect because if it is a yes or a no depends <coughs> on how the human who wrote the prompt feels that's what he said if he feel if that person feels that okay i i feel very bad i need to apologize that is a yes if doesn't care you know and say you know i don't care you know like i just want to write the apology you know just to get it out of the way that is a no but everything comes back to humans behind the ai yeah okay so here are some questions that you brought up so what do you think we will lose because you said with ai we're going to lose some things it's a trade-off so what do you think we will lose and what do you think we cannot lose uh we can't lose empathy we can't lose uh, everything related to social awareness um to personal relationships we can't lose that self-awareness as well self-awareness anything related to social emotional skills uh whatever in the castle uh framework any of those we can't relationship skills uh, because you actually any of need those. to give that because the ai cannot feel that have feelings even if it fakes the feeling like it doesn't have it doesn't feel you know so anything related to that is what humans are gonna be are gonna need to give to the ai uh to make the learning authentic and what we are gonna lose i don't know if we are gonna lose it but i i would be scared um it's the everything related to the um creativity process could, could be like creative thinking everything related to that because even right now we have everything related to dali or adobe adobe firefly mid journey all of those um you know that you can generate pictures and stuff like it's taking away your creativity if you think about it and we talked uh, about that um on on the keynote as well like albert it is okay if we use that uh, but we could never we can never use it all the time and rely on those tools all the time because we're gonna lose our creativity our creative thinking process okay i'm gonna challenge you a bit Go ahead. so the one feedback i got the most of what my of my presentation last night was my graphics i had a message in my head i had a vision i can see it but how do i get other people to see what's in my head i'm not an artist i can't draw or paint i can try to look for images that are already out there but like one of my graphics was so i totally get it but you already had the creativity exactly. you went through the creative thinking process creative before process. you did it to have an idea of what you wanted the final product to be right so you did that but my point is that like because let's say that you want to create a presentation about ai you, you go to chat gpt and say hey give me five points that i can talk about in a presentation you take that okay create these pictures you have done nothing to oh, you know in your creative but you've done everything in your creative process you know you've gone through every every stage you just need help to take that those thoughts from your mind and put it in a slide right, right. but you've done everything else but my point was like, a, you know, like... So, a, okay, you can't use it to create the present, the whole thing. Yeah, like a, can, a lot of people course, are... Do, like, you, you could, but you're not, you know, <laughs> like working. So I think you might have said this, or I don't know if it's what I wrote down. When and where should we use it? So when do you think it's acceptable? And when do you think it's not acceptable? Oof, that's a great question. It's more like ethics and morals that we are talking here right now. More than productivity to me. 
Yeah. Um, it's a whole conversation of ethics and morals. Um, I would say that think that it is right to use it or not, but I wouldn't use it um, to create the whole creative thinking process. If you are taking away that, I wouldn't use it because you are going to rely to the tool so much that you're going to be losing all that over time. For me, uh, I encourage people to use it, honestly. Like, in, in maybe in every situation possible, as long as, like what Alberto said, we said that trade-off doesn't happen. You know, it could be creative thinking, could be other thing, but you need to be very careful with those skills. We're talking about skills here. What skills, there are two questions here. What skills do we need to teach students and what t- skills do we need to teach teachers? You can pick whichever one you want first. We're going to answer I think both. I can talk about, uh, about AI, right? Yeah. Um, so to us, we've been asked many times uh, the last couple of years to write curriculum on AI to teach students and teachers. Mm-hmm. And we always say the same. Like, we don't like to focus on tools when we talk about this. Uh, we like to focus about fundamentals, things that are not going to change over time because we focus on the tools, so we focus on just tools of things we can do with AI, it's going to completely change in weeks. So uh, skills that they need to learn on AI is more like fundamentals. I think that is related to ethics, uh, morals, uh, bios, all those things that are not going to change over time, that we know what's right or wrong, uh, if it is bias or not, or different things that we can do wrong with AI. Copyright stuff and all those things. To me, those are so needed more than the tools, for example. And like everything related to computational thinking, it's super important for what Alberto said. That you need to forget that AI is part of CS, deep learning, and machine learning, right. and that's very important. Yeah, it's it's what Alberto said. Like that is not gonna change. You know, it's the basic, the fundamentals of AI, of the computer science, machine learning. So I think like we should focus on that for students because it's it's the same with the coding. Why do we learn? Code? to know what's going on behind that screen, right? To know what's going on in our website and everything else. So with AI, I truly think that should be the same. Should Like, we should teach them the fundamentals of AI for the students to know what's going on behind that screen, what's going on when they write a script. So we need to come back to uh, computational thinking, to all the machine learning skills, like the basics that we learn with coding, we learn with computer science. Okay, so now that AI can code for us, um, how much coding do you think a student should learn anymore? The fundamentals yeah, as same. well. Just the fundamentals. Fundamentals, and then you keep going from that. Uh, but like, at least to me, every student should know the fundamentals of coding. Like, is block-based coding okay? You think they no, can stop a little there? More. No, 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 a little more. What do you little think? More. Uh, but like to me, um, like Python. Like, what do you guys think? Python, Java. I think the basics. You okay. know, like the basic. Uh, like we used to study biology to learn how the world work, right? Like, we study biology to know how the plants, the animals around us work, the cells in our body. Now, like, we, it's not just biology, like, we are surrounded by technology that we really need to know how to, how it works. So also, um, coding to us is the new biology. Like, to fully understand the world around us, we need to know at least how computers work and learn a bit about coding. And that's what, uh, coding. I, I think that's a very good point because uh, it's what you say, say like, uh, do, do they need to learn how to code? Well, I think yes, but it's more not just to be able to code because now we have, you know, like help with all of that code, but it is more for like how everything works around us, you know? Um, okay, so before we get into the teachers, I really want to stop at the students right now because this is something I think is so important and you guys brought this up. I feel like we are so in alignment with all of our thoughts. This digital divide is a real problem right now. It is. Huge. So can you talk to us about that? So I think there's like a problem in like, I would say that two different areas that we mentioned on our keynote. The first one is the digital gap. Okay, like uh, students or like people who have access to internet and now to AI versus people who don't have access. You know, that's like a, um, if you think about it like a, now that the world is more connected, like you can even apply to a job, you know, like in Europe and then a person in Africa can apply to the same job. You know, like your your advantage is so huge, you know, because you can use AI, you can use technology, you have access to internet, and then the other person have haven't had that access or haven't had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think the digital gap is gonna get bigger and bigger mm-hmm. with the 
the more complex the technology is, the bigger the digital gap will will be. Because you know, like with internet was big, but right now with AI it's gonna get even bigger because AI can do even more than you know what we used to do. And with the digital gap, I think it was going to be your second point, Mario. Probably. We talk about <laughs> skill gap, right? Digital gap. I was not gonna mention that, but you can go ahead. Yeah, and then like, I, I will. I will so talk about my second gap, point. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but also the skill gap is getting getting bigger because right now in the world that we live in, uh, in 2023, we cannot succeed if we don't have um, skill sets based on coding, skill sets based on digitalization. So when we have this digital gap that is huge, also we are creating this. Uh, skill gap with people that don't know how to use internet or don't know how to use right. the artificial intelligence. So it's not just the digital gap that we are growing like crazy, it's also the skill gap mm-hmm. that is going to affect the future of the students and the future of the workforce of a specific country, specific region, yeah. which is huge. You showed this map where it was like Africa versus the US and that was very compelling to see that. Yes. And I think before we even touch on that, like there are schools that are still banning this. And my problem with that is like, you could ban it in school if they have a cell phone or a personal computer, it's not banned when they go home. Yes. And so if our job is to prepare students for their future, and like first of all, I always say to teachers, would you use it in your job? Like I hope, I hope you would, <laughs> right? Uh, if you say yes, like how are we not preparing students to use it? And then the students that, that have that have the devices at home have access and they will use it whether you let them or not. And the students that don't have access, they don't have access. Now we're, we're <laughs> increasing this gap. It, it is. I, I have two thoughts about that. Like, okay, so if a if a school district does that because they don't want to do it at all, that's a mistake. If they ban it temporarily until they figure out how to teach it, I understand that. Okay, it was like a tsunami of information, like so much. Okay, let's ban it for a month, you know, a month and a half. Now they should. It was back, you know, like a, like a year ago, maybe. You know, like you ban it for a couple months until you figure out how to approach that, how to teach that. I understand that, mm-hmm. but ban it like forever you know like i'm not gonna use it it doesn't matter if you ban it or not that student is gonna go home and it's gonna use it but also you think know? about how you're impacting the future of that student for example let's say there are students in colorado that they're using ai mm-hmm. and they are they know how ai works and they know they know how to use it for uh, to be effective in their workplace and you have a student in utah utah for example on a farm that a farm, yeah. they don't know anything about ai because you ban it you are impacting negatively the future of those students because this is a competition if you if i'm a company and i want to hire someone and I have a student from Colorado that knows how to use AI, but I have a student in Utah that hasn't been able to learn about AI, I'm going to hire the one in Colorado. Right. So also when we talk about competition for, for jobs, learning about AI is crucial for the future. So you decided to ban, you are <coughs> impacting negatively the future of those students. For sure. Okay, so what about the teachers? <laughs> First skill is like not to be afraid <laughs> of AI. Uh, you work with teachers a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What is your message? My message is AI is gonna make your life easier. Okay. You know, well, going back to productivity. So teachers are very burnt out in general. You know, they are tired of professional development. You know, like uh, the last two, three years have been insane. So they didn't want to hear you when you come in to do professional No, they don't. You know, like they don't want to hear us. They don't want to hear anyone. They are tired. They've had so much professional development since 2020. So you need to... You need to tell them and you need to show to them that this is not something else. This is not something else they need to do, right? Yeah, and that this thing that you're going to teach them, you're going to show to them, is going to make their life easier. They don't want one more thing to do. They want something that makes their life easier. And this is it. And this, this is, is it. it. That's how we approach it. It's like, okay, this is not a new program that you're going to need to do in your class, that you're going to need to make time for it. No, this is something that is going to allow you to, you know, like uh, um, be more productive and, you know, spend less hours in your work like having the same quality that you do uh, I think like when we approach teacher we tell we tell them okay we, we've been in your shoes we've been teachers and we know all you've been asked to do 
but this is not it. This is the opposite. It's not gonna take time away from you or your family or your free time. It's mm -hmm. the opposite. It's gonna give you that freedom mm -hmm. to go and use your time however you want. And then once they buy, they buy that, you know, okay, like, okay, teach me how to do it. Right. You and teach them, they what do you see teach them? it. What skills? What do they need to know? Prompting. Prompting. And how do they learn prompting? That's, so we have many, many activities, but I think prompting for students and teachers is yeah. step one to learn 100%. How, how AI works. What is your best prompting advice? To specific. Be super specific. I mean, like, this is like coding. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you need to be extremely specific when you code something. You should tell, you know, like, uh, your program, your platform, like, everything you need to do. Like, I know you've seen the example of a robot making a sandwich. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen that yeah. example? That, like, for people that don't know how to code at all, um, they're asked to, to give instructions to. We their... do that in real life, but we and I make the kids be silly. Yes, yes. And and then you, usually we model you as a teacher. You need to be very very specific yes. to the, for the robot to make the sandwich. Yeah. So it's the same with the prompts. You really need to be very 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 specific for what you want and how you want it. So I think that's step we always say one. like give context. Okay, like uh, give personality to ChatGPT. Give like okay, you now are like a marketing expert, and this is my context. So, like, give AI, generative AI in this case, as much information as possible. You know, like, your context. Like, what do you want the AI to do? Like, what's your goal with that? Like, as, as much information as possible. As specific as you can be. Yeah. Um, will we say um, your results or what the AI gives you back is only as good as you prompt. You know, if yeah. you do like a crappy prompt, it's, you're going to get a crappy response. The product will reflect on your prompt. And that's why I always say when people say, is it cheating to copy it from ChatGPT? It depends how you used it because if you loaded it the right way, if you prompted the right way, maybe not because it's really your own thoughts, your own ideas. Yeah. It depends. It depends how you use it. So that's why it's always, if you're a teacher using this with your students, I think it's important for them to include a link so you can supervise and see how it was used. So I think the how is very different than if you used it or not. It's not a yes or no. It's a how. It depends. Yeah. yeah. How and it also the evaluation. How do you want to evaluate that? The uh, process, not the product. Exactly. Yeah, process. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're gonna go on to the future now. So you showed a picture of a very traditional classroom um, in your keynote. What do you think the future classroom looks like visually? Um, nothing like that. Nothing like I would say that how I would like it to look, and I think we can make it possible and can look. It's like not individual roles anymore. You know, like uh, I would say that not teacher desk as well. I would say that I would like to enter into a classroom and say like a working environment. You know, like open spaces, open spaces that groups of students or individual students are working on a project. And a project can be about everything. You know, it doesn't need to be a ma about math only. Like can be interdisciplinary, can be like a different thing. So I would like to enter a classroom and don't even see even desk if it's possible. You know, like just projects Project, around the classroom. Cross curricular. Cross curricular projects. It doesn't need to be like maybe second grade. If you're in second grade, like. So not even a front of the classroom. There's no. No, front. I no. no, not even the classroom setting as we know it right now. Is there any? Are there any screens on the walls, and how many? Yeah, like uh, any screens, whatever is necessary to support the, uh, students in this student-centered approach. In and you think there's a physical classroom, right? I really think so. I really think so. I think it's important, honestly, uh, because of what we said before. <laughs> I think like uh, the human connection is important. I know that a lot of online learning is happening and will happen in the future, and I agree that it's important. Cause and it, it doesn't need to be just classroom face-to-face. -face. It could be virtual <laughs> or not, but... I hope it is. It goes face to face, but also we are aware that a lot of virtual classroom, of virtual learning, will happen mm -hmm. in the future. But always collaborating, solving a problem, and working together on a project. Okay, so you gave the this year. You had on a timeline 2024. So you said a lot's going to happen by 2024. But I'm going to ask you 2024 and 2034. Can you tell me what you think 2024 looks like and 2034 looks like? I think 2024 is going to look a little like end of 2024. I hope we get to automation already, like with some tools that we get uh, with AI that teachers can use um, tools to, auto, you know, like to make some processes in the classroom automatic. Mm -hmm. uh, that I think that would be great with the data for students. And 2034, I don't know because like let's like if you ask me ago. can you imagine if you ask me like a, a year and a half ago like how yeah, it's gonna look like like 
I would have never guessed this. No, me either. Not yeah. even close. So no. like from now that we already have that technology, it's going to, you know, like... Um, because it's not progressive anymore. It's exponential. Yeah, that's like, the thing. I turned 34... <laughs> Can't even. I couldn't even. I couldn't even tell you 2025. Okay, so, so is there anything about this future that maybe keeps you up at night or worries you? Yes, ethics. ethics. <laughs> it worries me. Ethics. It's very dangerous. Um, ethics. I think bias is very important as well. Oh, me too. I'm a, I have a whole episode coming up with Ken Shelton about AI bias and discrimination. I'm bias really excited about and this. also like um, we were in the. Um, conference uh, CS at Khan um, last week there was the a huge AI conference in, in Vegas actually and they were talking about the possibility of companies paying uh, different like a generative AI to give those companies the top results for example you go to a city and say ask ChatGPT or other generative AI a software give me top five restaurants I can go tonight what about those top five restaurants or company are paying open AI uh, so it's going to be the top like, of the list right. it's like the Google or Bing before yeah. you search on that and you get the true results organic results now all you get is like um, the ads right like the, the five first results are like someone who is paying to be there yeah that's so I mean there's that's Google ads happen, it's a whole thing that's going to happen in generative AI very very soon people are going to start paying to, to be on top of the list and getting that ads right so that's one that's going to happen very very soon Another one is ethics about the multicultural point of view. Multicultural, yeah, because like uh, right now all the data that we are feeding to this generative AI are from like you know like uh, people who have Western access to countries. yeah people who have access to internet and people who has access to um, AI. You know, but what about people like we said in Africa or even like rural areas of the U.S. Like you're not like getting Utah. Utah, yeah. You're not getting their point of view. You know, like you're training um, AI, generative AI in this case. Uh, you know, with data from kind of the same people ish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Instead of just multicultural or like a different points of view. So that scares me as well because we're gonna reach to a point where, um, you know, like we're not gonna be able to to have like a non-biased opinion you know or something like that and there are different processes and different things that companies do to avoid this but like it's not 100 percent you know accurate yeah there is a research that uh, came out we were talking about that a couple of days ago and that shows how and we're going to reach to a point that we're going to be using the same data yes to train the AI and it's gonna get to a point that's gonna get so confused that the results are not because gonna be. Because we are gonna, we're gonna run out, out of data, data, you know, at some point. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna like be a, using the same data over and over and over. But what to about train like what about like recursive self-improvement where the AI is teaching the AI? That happens, but that's ha that's this this report showed that that data it's going to get worse and worse because you're recycling it each, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not going to have the same quality. So if you use the same data over and over, AI training and AI, it's going to mm -hmm. get a point where mm -hmm. that recycling is going to make the product and worse. That's, right. that's, that's, um, so you can see that clearly in this report that show how um, when you generate the, a picture with um, right. a journey or like a Firefly, one of those ones, uh, you use the same data over and over and over, the picture is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It's very interesting to see uh, that report. And it shows that the where you see the same data or other AIs to, to train AI is going to be horrible, the final result. I previously interviewed um, Microsoft Education's Chief Innovation Officer, uh, MJ, and he left a prompt for you. What is the most practical and immediately accessible task that can be handed off to AI. Um, we talked about this before, and I'm still thinking the right well, answer. Well, I think I, I can come up with one. Like we talked about the digital gap before, right? <laughs> digital the skill gap. So I think that there's a way where AI can help with the skill gap, and it is that right now two students, one that is like a lower socioeconomic uh, family, mm -hmm. one is a higher socioeconomic family. Um, the student who uh, has like a I would say rich family, we can say rich family, It's going to have access to tutors, tutors to help uh, academically, right? Like with writing essays and stuff like that. The other student who grew up in a kind of like in a poor family will not have access to these tutors. But now with AI, you know, like uh, you can teach AI or you can talk to the AI to be your own tutor. 
So that person who didn't have access to Twitter or extra help, you know, academically, now has access, you know, to all of these tutors or like a extra help academically. All of those so, resources. All of those resources, exactly. So uh, I think like or even like learning how to code and those things that uh, used to be very expensive. I think AI can close that gap. Uh, by using it right in the right way and helping these uh, families that maybe uh, couldn't afford tutors or to other kind someone. of help, uh, they could have access to that, this technology that will help them. So I think like if we use it right, like I can close the skill gap, you know, like I yeah. can give the same opportunities to different students. Thank you so much for coming to NiceGate, coming to the United <laughs> States, to Rochester, New York, near Syracuse, New York, but not quite <laughs> not where you ended up. Um, where can we find you? Oof, we are on social media. E-Twins is E-T-W-I-N-Z. Um, and then, uh, I don't know. I don't know in what conference will be next. ST for sure. And oh, then definitely ST. Definitely 100%. 100%. And we don't know about the future. We are still thinking because we really need a break. Uh, this couple of months have been... Exhausting, too, much. <laughs> too much. We've been traveling. So you're uh, going to take a vacation? No. Uh, no. We're going to take a break from traveling. <laughs> Internationally. Internationally. We'll be traveling in Spain and maybe We'll around. be in Spain, no Europe or South America yeah. the next couple of months. And that's something that we've learned recently that we need to say no sometimes. Yeah. And it is, it is okay to say no. It is not bad. And so we're taking... Um, December and January of traveling just to focus on family, friends and our own mental health uh, which, is, which is awesome Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you USD and yeah. anything else that you want to leave us with I don't think so, I think we talked about pretty much I everything. know, it was a very yeah. good conversation yeah. Yeah. Thank you yeah, Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Generative Age powered by NiceScape For a deeper dive, check out my new book titled How'd You Guess? The Generative Age now available on Amazon. Our journey may pause here, but the conversation doesn't need to end. Stay connected and informed by following me on social media at Alana Winnick and subscribing to my newsletter, all conveniently accessible on my website, alanawinnick.com. Don't just listen, be a part of it. With your free NiceCape membership, you can join these live discussions, enroll in our free Generative Age NiceCape community, where you can share resources, ask questions, and collaborate with like-minded colleagues. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review and telling a colleague or a friend. We've got so much more in store, so be sure to join us next time for another exciting conversation. Until then, keep learning and keep growing in the generative age.